So I've always wanted to be able to play the guitar, and uh, I, I've shown you I can play about six or seven chords, but I can't play any songs, any, you know, any full songs anyway. Uh, and, and, uh, and I know why. I know the reason I can't play guitar. It's not because my fingers are too small or because I lack rhythm, which I do, but, uh, but it's not because of that, and it's not because I don't have a guitar or own a guitar or anything like that. It comes down to this one very simple thing. It's, it's devotion. I've never, I've never devoted myself to actually learning how to play the guitar. Uh, and here's the reality, I think, and, and it's not a reality that we like. I, I don't know that you're going to love this sermon, but I think it's an important one. As we think about prayer, there's this really important reality that we must have right in the forefront of our minds, and that is this. Often the difference between being bad at something and decent at something is simply how devoted to that something we are. Uh, similarly, it, the difference between being okay at something or decent at something and good at something is often how devoted we are to that something. And the difference between being good at something and great at something is often the difference between being devoted to something and not being devoted to something. That's the reality. And it's not a reality we love because I, I think often we can just fall back on, well, I'm not naturally good at that, whatever that thing is, you know. I'm not naturally musical, but if I was devoted to learning the guitar, I could learn how to play the guitar. I could go from a bad guitar player to a decent guitar player. I'd probably never be a great guitar player, but I could at least be a decent guitar player. And the reality is, and if you've been around for this series and you know that we're talking about prayer and what Paul in the Bible specifically writes about prayer, then you already can guess what I'm going to say. I think that maybe the main difference between those who are good prayers and not good prayers, in other words, those who are prayers and those who don't pray, uh, and the difference between those who are great prayers and decent prayers is really just a matter of who has devoted themselves to prayer and who hasn't devoted themselves to prayer. My point today is really simple. It's uh, right from the Bible, direct words. There's no rhyme today. There's no sticky statement. It's simply this, just be devoted to prayer. And that's exactly what Paul says in Colossians 4.2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. I think as we've gone through this series that, that for a lot of people it's been impactful and I'm so thankful to hear those stories and uh, you know got a, a really awesome response card this week where somebody said look I, I, I do pray but I'm now committing to a certain amount of time every day to pray. I loved that. It was awesome to hear. And I, but I think on the other side of that, the other response to this series, besides saying I need to do something different, would just be to say, well, I do pray, because so much of it is just about that, pray. That's the reason we named it this. Paul, most often when he talks about prayer in his writings in the New Testament, is just saying to do it. And I think for a lot of us the, on the other side who are not going to be impacted, it's really just easy to say well, I do pray. I do pray. I pray. So I'm good. I'm covered here this series. Let's get on to the next one, you know. I mean, uh, I do pray. I, I pray. I did yesterday or at least last week or whatever. I pray. And, and so for some people, I think it's really easy to kind of loophole your way out of everything that Paul is saying because, because he's being general and not specific. 
I think if Paul would have said, hey, you need to pray one hour a day, then, then we'd have a barometer, right? Like, well, I do or I don't. I'm in or I'm out. I, I can answer that question. Do I pray an hour or do I not pray an hour a day? But Paul isn't saying that. He's saying, you know, be thankful in prayer. In every situation, pray. Pray for me. You know, all these things that we've seen that are, that are driven by pray, just that, that verb pray, that command pray, but it's really easy for us to kind of just say, well, I do, I, I do. But in Colossians 4, 2, when Paul says this thing that I've read, devote yourselves to prayer, that's vastly different, right? Because while it's really easy to say, I pray, it is much more difficult to say, I am devoted to prayer. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but, but man, I would, I would imagine, uh, even in our church, and I think we've become a much better praying church but even in our church I would I would imagine that if I asked you to raise your hand and 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 I said do you pray yes or no raise your hand if you pray then then almost everybody here whether you're a Christian or not a Christian whether it's your first time here you've been here a million times most of us would put our hands up and say yeah I pray I mean how often would be debatable but I I do pray but if I if I just ask the question raise your hand will you raise your hand if you're devoted to prayer and everybody here was totally honest I would imagine that far less hands would go up I would imagine that if all of us were being honest that that a a minority of hands would actually go up in this place because while we pray we are not most are not devoted to prayer the simple kind of greek definition dictionary definition of this word is to be strong or firm towards anything to endure or persevere in or with to be continually in with or near any person or thing and even that even just that isn't that a little convicting i mean for you just ask yourselves are you strong towards prayer are you firm towards prayer do you endure in prayer do you persevere in prayer are you continually in prayer? Are you continually near to prayer? Is this like, is this like a central theme in your life that you, that you pray? Is it like a part of everything you do? Is it your first response to bad things or is it your last response to bad things? The New International Greek Testament commentary, it gives kind of these three ways that this word, this Greek word in the Bible for devoted is used to persist at, remain with, to be loyal to someone, or to occupy oneself diligently with paying attention to. That last one is how it's probably used in connection to prayer in the Bible, to occupy oneself diligently with prayer. That's vastly different than I pray, right? I mean, that is on a whole different level, to be diligently devoted to prayer to persevere in all of these words, all of these adjectives, it's vastly different than just saying, I pray. The New International Greek Testament commentary, it's as uh, big and smart of a book as it sounds like. It goes on to say that there's two things of note that are kind of involved in this devotion to prayer. It's perseverance and the second word I love, tenaciousness. I I like that better than devoted, Uh, you know. Are, Are you tenacious about prayer? I just, I, I mean, I can picture things when I think of tenacity, right? And it's, it's, it's intense when I think of that adjective. Uh, do you persevere in prayer and are you tenacious in your prayers? 
The word biblical commentary describes as an activity that someone is devoted to or busily engaged in. It goes on to say that it suggests termination, determination in prayer with resolve not to give up. Does that describe your prayer life? I think a lot of people don't pray as much as they would because they think, well, I did and it didn't work, but they're not ever devoted to prayer. Uh, they prayed once and they didn't see results, but the call of the scriptures, the call of Paul specifically in the Bible is not that we'll just pray, although that's the key point, right? That's the key theme of the whole series. It's that it will pray with consistency and that we'll pray in every situation and then our first response to things would be prayer, that we would be tenacious in prayer. I think, and uh, man, I want to mention this again because it was so valuable to me, but I preached on what Jesus said about prayer many years ago now uh, in a sermon called Receive. If you go to our website and uh, backslash creeksidebiblechurch.org slash receive, then you, then you can listen to that. And it, and it is, and I've said this already in the series, so forgive me. It sounds like I'm bragging, but, but it is one of the few sermon series that I go back to that I have preached consistently to listen to again. And it's just to remind myself of the things that I taught people and, and the things that God taught me through it. And so I would recommend to, to li- that you listen to that, but one of the key passages in that series was Luke 18, one through eight, a parable told by Jesus that I think illustrates really well devotion to prayer, tenacity in prayer. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up, that's tenacity. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming in to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What was fascinating uh, to me as I preached about Jesus on prayer is that he seems to say that, that God's response to our prayers is connected to how tenacious we are in praying. He talks about here going day and night, just continue to bother God. In another place, he talks about audacious prayer when he tells a parable of a man going to the house of a friend in the middle of the night and asking for supplies for his guests. He uses this word audacity. And I just wonder if if we are audacious in our prayers, if we are praying in such a way that, that if God could be bothered by our prayers, he would be bothered by our prayers. Uh, my children, uh, and sometimes things come up with my kids that, that just seem like I'm, I just did it in order to create uh, a sermon illustration, and that's not true. Most of the time when I'm with my kids, I'm not thinking like, I need a sermon illustration. I'm gonna have them do something right now to create that. But, but recently... I, I just noticed, and maybe I got bothered, by, by how many times my kids will ask. If you've had kids, if you've ever seen a kid, if you've ever been around a kid, if you've ever sat next to a kid in a restaurant, then you, know, then you know how tenacious they are when they're asking for things. And so we were walking home from the library, 
I don't remember what Hazel asked me, but she asked me, and I said no, and then she said, please, can I, whatever, I think she wanted me to carry or something, no, I can't, please, can you, no, can you carry me in a little bit, no, can you pretty please carry me, no, well, if I, if I, you know, do the chores later, will you carry me, no, and and so, so I, being the brilliant parent that I am, sometimes I have flashes of brilliance as a parent, and I'm so happy with myself, I said, Hazel, Let's reverse this. I want to do it. Said, can I use your sweatshirt? No. Can I please use your sweatshirt? No. Can I use your sweatshirt if I give you something? Well, then she'd be like, yeah, maybe. Uh, But no. Can I pretty, 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 please, 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 please use your sweatshirt? No. And what happened, it was so interesting because, because the first time when she had started this and she was asking for whatever, she had asked like 34 times, that's exaggerated, but, and I, I kind of giggled like, <laughs> like that. It was just like that. It was kind of condescending, I won't lie. And she said, you're laughing at me. And that's why I said, hey, let me show you what it feels like to have somebody ask you something a million times. And so now what we do is my kids say, hey, do that thing. And so I ask them over and over and over. And then in the middle of one of my asking, they'll go <laughs> like that. And I'll say, why are you laughing at me? And it's turned into this thing. And kids understand that maybe, just maybe, if you keep bothering your parent, they'll finally say yes. There's probably been moments. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. Take the car, you know, my four-year-old. Like, <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't say no again. And Jesus, look, I, we don't really like this, especially in our kind of our theological background and nuances. I feel like we don't really like this idea that Jesus, and I'm telling you, it's true. Listen to the sermon series I've already said. He seems to say, if you really want God to say yes to your prayers, then pray big, audacious things that, that seem like ridiculous. Like, if you think like, you know, God help me this much, you should just jump over it and ask him for that much. He describes praying and then believing that it's going to happen. And I know that kind of bothers us, right? Because it's like, well, where, how do, what does that look like? Is it all down to me? Is it all dependent on me? And I'd say no, by the way. But, but, but Jesus seems to describe that. And here he just says, basically, if you'll just be devoted to prayer, then, then an unrighteous judge will say yes to you. How much more will, you have, will, will your heavenly father want to say yes to you if you just keep bothering him? And when Paul writes his letter to the church in Colossae, he's saying something very similar. Just bother God with prayer. Be devoted to it. Be tenacious. Never stop. Never give up. Keep doing it. Make it a big, huge part of your life. Act like a kid and just keep coming to him saying, please, 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 you haven't said yes or no yet. I would say it's so fascinating because the early church apparently was this was this way when it came to prayer. This same word is used in Acts 1.14. And if you don't know what's happening in Acts 1.14, Jesus has ascended up to the heaven and, and his disciples, they don't really know what to do. Jesus has said, like, await the Holy Spirit. Like, that is, you know, something that they don't understand how to do or, you know, what that looks like. And, and they, they know they're supposed to do some work, but they're waiting. And it says in Acts 1.14, they all join together constantly, same word, in prayer. In Acts 2.42, the very early church, it describes this thing that, that this church and its history has been really driven by, and a lot of churches are driven by. It's kind of this, this early picture of what the, uh, this picture of what the early church did. 
And it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, same word, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Romans 12.12, Paul again says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, same word, faithful in prayer. I, uh, I, I, I've been really, been really sad about the death of Kobe Bryant, and uh, it's pretty abnormal for me to be sad about the deaths of celebrities, I won't lie to you, and, uh, and I think it's, it's probably twofold, partly because he is, uh, he's probably the biggest celebrity closest to his prime that's died in my lifetime, uh, at least in America, you could say Princess Diana, I've thought a lot about this, but, but I was really young, and the significance of that was kind of lost on me. But Kobe, you know, was still a star. He was on ESPN all the time. You scroll through Instagram basketball videos, you wouldn't go, you know, more than a second without seeing Kobe talking about what somebody had done or, or a highlight from Kobe. And, and, and all these stories about his, his devotion came, you know, forward, his devotion to basketball specifically. And so actually, the first thing I Googled was Kobe devotion, looking for an illustration, and his shoe's named after it. One of his shoes is called the devotion, something, something devotion. I couldn't memorize the whole name, but, uh, but, but he had a shoe named devotion, and, and I think it's really telling because he, he was so devoted to basketball. And, and at the beginning of this, I said that devotion can determine the difference between good and great. And for Kobe, his devotion to a sport really was the difference between good and great. And it's, it's been fun to read NBA guys, basketball players who are professional athletes who have been devoted to this sport their entire lives, describe how much more devoted Kobe was to the sport than, than they were. Uh, I read this story about a I mean, this guy maybe should have been more devoted because I don't even know who he is and it's, I'm going to struggle to say his last name. But an NBA basketball player, there was a teammate of Kobe named John Celestand. I think that's his name. Uh, and, and he was on Kobe's team and he, he, uh, Kobe had broken his arm the night before. And this guy, uh, being a jerk apparently, said, I can beat Kobe to the gym tomorrow. That's, that's what he's thinking about. Like, I can be in and practicing before Kobe because he broke his wrist in our game last night. So good news for me. And so he gets up and he arrives at, I don't know, 6, 7 in the morning or something. And Kobe is already there shooting left-handed because his right wrist is broken and and already full sweat, full drenched. That's crazy, right? That's devotion. Uh, I, I read this story about his routine every day, and, he's, and they said a lot of guys didn't even know this happened, but they would have practice at 10.30 when he was on the Lakers, and he would, he would practice from 6 to 8 a.m. in the morning. Then he would take his daughters to school. He would leave the facility, take his daughters to school, and then he would arrive back at 9 and begin practicing again until the practice at 10.30. And most guys on his team just assumed, you know, he got there before practice at some point, right? But he had already put in a two-hour uh, workout. Kobe said this, and I, I like this. If you really want to be great at something, you have to truly care about it. If you want to be great in a particular area, you have to obsess over it. A lot of people say they want to be great, but are not willing to make the sacrifices necessary to achieve greatness. Do you want to be a great prayer? If you do, it's going to take an incredible sacrifice and according to Kobe, and I agree with him, it's going to ha- have to be something that you truly care about, that you truly care about. 
I think almost every Christian that I know would say, yeah, I want to be a great praying person. I want to be a person of prayer. But most people will never truly obsess over it. Most people are not willing to make the sacrifice necessary to achieve greatness when it comes to prayer. I I just, I mean, think about what you're devoted to. And, and, you know, you can see it pretty clearly, right? It's like the things you won't miss, the things you wouldn't give up, the things that you uh, put your schedule around and, and make sure that it's just a part of your life. I mean, for some, it's a sports team, right? Like, I will not miss a sporting event by this team. Uh, you are obsessed with it. It's what you're, you, know, you listen to uh, in your free time is, is talk about that sports team. I mean, that, that's it for a lot of people. And, and you can see this in fandom, right? Like, people are obsessed with their teams. They are devoted to their teams. For some, it's, it's TV, it's TV shows, and I, I've harped on that a lot in this series, I feel like now, but, but, but so many people are, are devoted to TV when they're absolutely not devoted to prayer. And, and, and I think a lot of those people would say, I want to be a great praying person, but what they really want is to be a great TV watching person, and they're, they're doing a very good job at that. Uh, for some, it's exercise. Uh, there are people obsessed with exercise. I go to the gym and I see some of those men and they make me feel like a little small person. Uh, and uh, I walk in and I think I should be a little more obsessed with exercise maybe. Uh, but, but it becomes exercise and health and, and diet. And, and, and while they may say, I want to be a great prayer, what they really want to be great at, what they're devoted to is exercise. For some, it's travel. That's what they want to do. They want to get away, and they want to go places. And so they're, you know, all their money, they make sure to save, and they make sure to carve out time, and they make sure that they can travel and get away. For a lot of people, it's social media and you know, raising their platform there or just being on it and reading and obsessing over it. For some people, it's political conversation. I'm telling you, you already know, right? Like you can just look at your life without hardly any thought and you can say about every aspect of your life, I'm devoted to it or I'm not devoted to it. I am devoted or I'm not devoted. An easy example of that would just be how you eat, right? I mean, all of us want to eat healthier. I think we can all agree. Like I want to eat healthier. Everybody can say that. Every person can say, I've tried to eat healthy. Just like we can say I've prayed. Just like we can say I want to be a person of prayer. But if I ask the question, are you devoted to eating healthy? You'd be able to answer that really quickly, right? With a yes or no. Yes or no. I'm devoted or I'm not devoted. I'm in or I'm out. At least you could say, well, I was that week and I wasn't that week. You know what it looks like. And I think that is probably true for most of us when it comes to prayer. We know whether we are devoted or not. And it is not some magical thing that's going to happen to make us devoted. We just have to obsess with the idea of becoming a great prayer and then we can become great prayers. Prayer is not a spiritual gift. Faith is. But prayer is not something that certain people in churches can do while others can't really do. I think it's natural for some people like playing the guitar is. For some of us, it might require a little more obsession to be great at it. But we can all be great prayers if we choose to be devoted to prayer. 
He continues being watchful and thankful. He adds a couple of things to what devoted prayer looks like. Watchfulness is consistently connected to prayer in the New Testament. And and really, most of the time when you read watchfulness in the New Testament, it's about keeping your eyes on the return of Jesus. That's how Jesus uses it when he tells parables about him coming back and servants not being ready, ready, saying, hey, be watchful, be paying attention for my return. But in a broader sense, it's about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. We should be devoted to prayer as we, as we do our best to keep our focus on the Lord. That's part of the problem, isn't it? Other things demand our attention and our focus. And so while we want to be great prayers, we want to be devoted to prayer, all of these other shiny things, they take our attention and our watchfulness wanes. We turn our attention to our TV and to our sports team. All of these things that frankly are much easier to see than Jesus is. If we want to be great prayers, then we have to be watchful. Our our minds, our attention, our focus has to be on God And again, it's not magical. It's an effort thing. You have to say, I am going to pay attention to focus on Jesus and I'm gonna pay less attention to all of these other things. Jesus describes this so well. I mean, it's not a description. And we have this incredible illustration in Mark 14, 37 and 38. Jesus is about to die on a cross and he takes a few of his disciples out to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his disciples fall asleep and he returns and he says to his disciples, and he finds them sleeping. And he says, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you keep watch for, couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watchfulness is, is being awake, not just physically, although again, uh, I think it's an apt metaphor because it's so easy to fall asleep instead of praying. But it's watchfulness is just saying, my attention's on God and, and I, I'm looking at the world through that lens, through godly, a godly lens and saying, I have to pay attention to him because the world is, is just sending all of these other things to me, whether it be sleep or work or my children, and I have to pay attention to God if I'm going to be devoted to prayer. And be thankful. That was my whole entire sermon last week. If you weren't here, if you're new, then, then listen to last week's sermon because it was all about being thankful. But it comes down to this. Whenever we pray, we should include thankfulness. It should be a part of every prayer. And I want to just add to maybe what I said last week and, and say this. The reason that we can't, the main reason that we can be thankful in every prayer It is because of the gospel, because as Christians, what we believe, if you're not one, let me tell you what we believe. We believe that that we sinned, that we all have done bad things, and God came from heaven, the perfection, the glory, the honor, the the beauty of heaven, and he came to this earth that that is not beautiful and full of sin and despair and struggle, and he lived sinlessly without fault, doing everything right, and at the end of that perfect life, he died on a cross in order that all of your sins could be paid for. And as Christians, what we, what we did is we said, because we believe that story, we will give you our lives, Jesus. And then we get forgiveness and hope and peace and joy and a future in heaven, all of these great things. And so there is no moment for a Christian. There is no moment where we should not find it in ourselves to be thankful. 
We don't have to say, you know, like last week I talked about being thankful for fleas. You need to listen to it if that's totally out of context for you. But, but like we don't have to always be thankful about our circumstances. Maybe we could find that in us. But despite our circumstances, we can look at the God of heaven and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, that despite what I am dealing with right now, I know all that you have given me through your incredible sacrifice on the cross. I am thankful that I no longer someday will have to deal with all of this hurt and all of this brokenness and all of this struggle and all of this pain. So God, while I ask you to do something about it and I'm devoted, I'm trying to bother you, I'm trying to be audacious in asking you to do something about what I'm dealing with, I'm still thankful for the work that you have done in my life. And Paul kind of turns a corner in verses three and four and he says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It's interesting is when Paul finishes his letters, almost every one of them in the New Testament, he asks for prayer. We've talked about that in this series. But what I haven't been so specific about is that almost every time he asks for prayer, he's asking for prayer in order that the gospel, the story I just told about Jesus may spread further and faster and wider than it has already. Now this, this, just, this tells me a couple of things. First of all, that man, part of our prayer should be the spread of the gospel. Brandon said it earlier. I wish we would have planned that. We would have seemed smarter. But, but he said one of the key things that should drive our lives as Christians is sharing that story, uh, the gospel story that I just told, not Brandon, but that I just told. And Paul, at the end of his letters, like, I want you to be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And oh, by the way, pray for us too. Pray what? Pray that we may continue to spread the gospel. Now look, I know if you're not a Christian, <laughs> then, then one of the things you may have against Christians is that we, that we want to spread the gospel, that we want to share that story. And that may bother you because, you know, we, it feels like we're shoving our religion down your throat or we're not being tolerant of other religions or things like that. But I would just invite you to put yourself in our shoes where, where we believe, that we believe. I mean, we absolutely believe as Christians this incredible thing that God came from heaven to earth in order to save all people. He, he came so that we might have a relationship with him. He came so that we might not go to hell. He came so that we might have joy and hope and peace and love. And we're looking around at a world that has not experienced those things. Uh, we're looking around at a world that, that is without peace. Trust me, look at Facebook. It's without peace, it's without hope, and it seems like it's without joy. And we believe that these same people without all those things have no relationship with God, a relationship that has changed our lives, and we believe that they will spend eternity separated from all that is good, including the God of the universe. Wouldn't we be jerks not to want to share that? And so while it may seem like we're intolerant of other religions, we're not. We just believe what we believe and we want you to believe it too in order that you may have the results that we have experienced. But as Christians, I think it's disingenuous to be people who say, I want to spread that, but I'll never pray for it. 
I mean, how frequently are you praying for the salvation of those you love? And how frequently are you praying that just the gospel in general would be accepted and embraced by the people all around us? I, I was touched at our first Tuesday prayer night the other night. As we gathered together and we spent time praying for people, I, I, was, I was so moved by, by the people that I was with who were who are just praying for their loved ones to embrace Jesus as their savior. But it also led to this other thought. Because I was preaching on this maybe, are we praying that our, our, our people, us, that we who are next to each other, that we would share the gospel with our loved ones in a way that is meaningful and important and accepted? We shouldn't just pray for the salvation of the people we love. We should be praying for the salvation of people that you and I love. And we should be praying for each other that we will share the gospel and will do it in a way that is simple and meaningful to those who will hear it. That's what Paul's getting at. And if Paul needs the help in prayer, my goodness, I need it. And by the way, when Paul says an open door here, it's interesting because he's in prison when he writes this. And it would be so easy for us to say, well, he wants to get out of prison. He probably does. I mean, most people do, right, when they're in prison. But I think what he's actually getting at is closer to what we read in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being in prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When Paul says an open door, he probably means a little bit like I want to get out of prison so I can share the gospel. But even more, he means that no matter where he is, that people would be receptive to the gospel, that there would be opportunity for him to share the gospel. The word biblical commentary again says he earnestly desired their understanding and help in his struggle for the gospel and there was no better way to express it than by intercessory prayer. He goes on. Clearly, Paul attached great importance to the mutual intercession of himself and his converts. Not only does he constantly, constantly pray for them all, but also he begs them to assume wider responsibilities in supporting him in petitionary prayer. He knows that if he's going to continue to share the gospel, if there's going to be open doors for him to present the gospel, then he needs their prayers. What if that was our prayer? What if, what if it was that? Because, because I know we all have people that we want to share the gospel with and it's important to us and, and some of us are praying for those things. But how often are we actually saying, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did for you. Or what do you think about what Jesus did for you? Probably not very often, right? I mean, I, don't, I mean, we should be ashamed of it. We can all be ashamed of that together, right? But what if, what if as a church, one of the main things that we started praying is, God, give Bob, making that up and pointing at chairs that nobody's in, God, give Bob an opportunity, a clear opportunity that he will see to, to tell his aunt about what Jesus did for him on the cross? What if, what if we as a church just took it upon ourselves to pray for the people that we go to church with that they would see opportunities to talk to, about Jesus with the people in their lives that don't know, love, and, and who haven't embraced Jesus? Maybe that would change everything. 
What if we were not just praying that, but what if we were devoted to praying for that? It's our goal to baptize people every week at this church. Glad to say that 2019 brought us more baptisms. And it seems like we're trending in that direction. But I think we could trend there a lot faster if we were praying for people to have opportunities to share the gospel. And I would be remiss if I didn't just selfishly say pray for me as I proclaim the gospel every Sunday here. Especially pray for me as we move into an, a new sermon of series. Uh, yeah, did I say that right? Uh, a s- series of sermons in the next couple of weeks where I will be talking about what Jesus said from the cross. We'll be talking about his seven last sayings. And then as we move into the Easter season, and I'm going to get up here on a stage and I'm going to ask people to give their lives to Jesus. Please be devoted to praying that that would be a wide open opportunity. Please be devoted to praying that I will proclaim the gospel clearly and in a way that is received affirmatively by the people who hear it. That's important to me. Acts 28, 30, and 31, it's like the last thing we know about Paul, really. He's still locked up. He's locked up, but he's under house arrest, as you'll see in just a minute. And, and God says yes to their prayers here. I mean, it's so fascinating. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. So he gets out of prison. He gets house arrest. That's a step in the right direction. And welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. God said yes to the prayers of the Colossian people, it seems like. I, I, I want us to be a church that is devoted to prayer. I, I think that we've grown as a church that prays, if that makes sense. I think there's more prayer here. Uh, there's deeper prayer here than, than maybe ever before. But I don't think we're a church that's devoted to prayer yet. And I want us to become a church that's devoted to prayer. And you want to know how we do that? You become devoted to prayer. That's it. There's no programming that's going to work. I, I, uh, I'm just going to say quite frankly that one of the things that bothers me about our church is how difficult it is to get people to come to our once a month prayer meeting. That bothers me. And it shows me that while you're devoted to a lot of things, and, and you're devoted to a lot of things at this church that I appreciate, you're not devoted to prayer, at least corporate prayer. And if you want this to be a church of great prayer, then you need to be a person that's devoted to praying with the people of this church. That's what it's going to come down to. There's no magic pill to being a great prayer or being a church that is a great praying church. It's just a question of whether or not we are going to be devoted to it or not. And I hope, I hope, and I pray that we will be a church that you will be a person that if I asked you to raise your hand and say, are you devoted to prayer? Your hand would go up in one second because you would know that it was true. Man, I want to be a great guitar player, but I never will be because I'm not devoted to it. And I hope that you want to be a great prayer and I hope that you will devote yourselves to it. Let me pray that you'll do that right now. Lord Jesus, I ask that we would be a, a church filled with great great, great prayers. I pray, God, that we would be tenacious in prayer, that we would be devoted to prayer. 
Lord, I think that, you know, it's such a common thing that in, in all of our lives, we think that at some stage, things will get easier. Uh, you know, like when, when my kids grow, I'll have time, or when I retire, I'll have time, and uh, I think that becomes true with, with prayer. I think we kind of set this eternally in front of us point when we'll devote ourselves to prayer, but God, tomorrow really never comes. Tomorrow's not here, God. Uh, we only have the present, and I pray in the present, Lord, we would, we would make a decision to, vote, to devote ourselves to prayer, that we would God, get up earlier and, um, you know, we'd be more like Kobe when it, in basketball when it comes to how we pray, Lord. Uh, make this a church of great prayer. Man, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, that I want from this church and for this church. I'm so thankful for our unity. I'm so thankful for the high percentage of people who serve. I'm, I'm thankful, God, for how consistently people give. We're not a wealthy church, God, but we have so many people who just faithfully will contribute financially. I'm, I'm thankful, God, for, for how people show up here expecting you to impact their lives. But God, one area where I want to see us just get exponentially better is in prayer. And so I pray, God, that we would become a church that, that is known by our devotion to prayer, Lord. Let that be true, God. Let that happen. And it starts with individuals, even this morning, making decisions to be devoted to prayer, whether they have time or don't have time, whether they have energy or don't have energy. It, it's going to take a commitment by our people to being devoted to it. I pray that that would happen. I pray, God, that you would fill up our first Tuesday prayer night, that we'd have to move out of that space, God, even within the next year, uh, because we don't have room there, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.